Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Up here, excuse me, the electric chair fell apart. Good morning again, it's great to be with you. We were only here a few weeks ago, but then we shared a little on 1 Peter chapter 5. Do you remember that verse? All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God is opposed to the proud but shows favour or grace to the humble. But today we're, we're here more in a mission context. As you're aware, Robin and I both work with Africa in their mission. Our, in, our national and Asia-Pacific office is just across the other side of the roundabout. And we're here to say thank you. Thank you to you as a church for your financial and prayer support for us in our roles. Uh, I'm the Australian Asia-Pacific director, Robin... <coughs> keeps an eye on all our finances. And our, our role over there is really to uh, find people, workers, missionaries, to go and serve in Africa or among African peoples around the world and to support them while they're there. And, yeah, and you are with us in that work and we, we're here to say thank you. So before we get into God's word this morning, well, I'd like to tell a few stories or maybe one or two stories and show a short video. But since we were here last time, <coughs> it's only a few weeks, we, we've visited a few other churches, but some interesting things have happened in, in the world of mission. In Chad, a few weeks ago, it looked like civil war was about to, to break out. We have missionaries in Chad. They all went into hibernation, but by God's grace, things settled down. The president died, a new interim government came in, but the peace was broken. So we praise God for that and the workers now are back in their normal locations in Chad. This past week, heard news from South Sudan that one of the South Sudanese pastors who works closely with our South Sudan team leader was shot and killed in his home one evening. I can't explain that. I'm not sure of all the detail, but I know he's left a, a young family and a pregnant wife behind. But serving God in places like South Sudan is not without its risks. Today we have um, missionaries from South Sudan who have been in, in Kenya for a few weeks on a flight home here to Australia. They were to come to Sydney but they've been redirected to Brisbane and will go into the two weeks quarantine there probably tomorrow. But they, they've been delayed a little. They did get COVID on the way out of South Sudan. Fortunately, they only had mild symptoms, one of them, and they have negative tests now, ready for the flight home. One of their other team came home a few weeks earlier and is just out of quarantine in Brisbane. 
So life is interesting in these days of COVID and other challenges in missions. But I, I'd like to t tell you a story that comes from a, a missionary in Kenya, Eddie Anderson. Eddie was in his village among the Gabra people and he was involved in a Bible study with what they call evangelists. So that's Gabra men who are like assistant pastors, but they're helping in the work of proclamation of the gospel. And they were studying Mark chapter 5, and that's the story of Jesus and the person with the demons. You remember the demons came out, they went into the pigs, and the pigs went AWOL over the, the cliff. But one of the uh, evangelists asked Eddie, does God still do that today? And his answer was that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and today. He can do it. It's up to him if he will do that. But he said, we, we have a lady in our village that is like this. It's been demon-possessed. And they left it there. But later that morning, Eddie was in his house and he heard this noise outside, the la someone screaming at his wife. They went out and he called one of the evangelists, Abu, to, to, to translate. And he said, this is the lady I was telling you about. So this lady, Botu, had been possessed by demons. She had not been in her house for more than six months. She was told by the witch doctors and the Muslims and others that if she went into her house, she, she would die. So she had been going from village to village for six months, living literally in the bush or on the streets. But she had come to them and they asked why. She's, she had listed the others that she'd been to and they said, they, they can't help me. I have come to you because I know you can help. They explained the gospel to her. They prayed for her. And they visibly noticed a, a change come over her. She went from distress and distraught to peace. They went to her house and without any further thought, she ran into the house and they said to her later, why, why did you go in? We hadn't even prayed over the house. She said, I knew Jesus was with me. But they asked her, do you, when she was with them, do you, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord? And she said, yes, that's why I'm here. And she did. She was transformed and every Sunday since she's been in church but she's been a real testimony among the Gabra people. The evangelists have been encouraged to see the scriptures in action. Other villagers are calling out, come and teach us. The gospel has been proclaimed, lives transformed and disciples made. We're going to flick to a a short video now, if we could, please. That story, by the way, is in our latest Africa news, and there's copies available out there. If you make sure you grab a copy, and Robin and my latest newsletter, produced on Friday, is also out there for you. But let's look at it. <coughs> Maybe we need to, to back it up with this.
these were my bonds. I was a Cody, alone. I was broken, filled with grief and frustration. I tore my clothes and lashed out at my family. They didn't know what to do, so they abandoned me. Tied in a dark house. But then one day, a doctor came. Her eyes filled with tears when we met. Why would she care? She didn't know me. She didn't know what I had become. She asked if she could pray for me in the name of Jesus. After her prayers, she offered me medicine and said it would help me when I could not control myself. Through the medication and prayer, I'm improving. I am not tied up anymore. I can go outside and be with my family and neighbors. The doctor is teaching me about Jesus. Now I have a new life. I was defined by bondage, but now I am free. This is why we do healthcare ministry, to proclaim the gospel and see lives transformed in the name of Jesus. Our vision is to see Christ-centered churches among all African peoples, and healthcare ministry is a vital part of accomplishing this goal. For over 100 years, Africa Inland Mission has brought the gospel message and compassionate care to unreached peoples. Healthcare reflects God's love for people and can often overcome barriers to sharing about Jesus where people are suspicious or resistant to the gospel. AIM's healthcare ministries provide a way for nurses, doctors, therapists, and other medical professionals to apply their knowledge and skills while sharing the message of Jesus with unreached people groups. Many places will not accept traditional missionaries. In these places, healthcare professionals can go where others cannot. We are looking for compassionate healthcare professionals who want to use their gifts and expertise to share the love of Christ and the gospel message. Jesus cares. We go because we are compelled by Jesus' love that his name will be proclaimed. This is why we do healthcare ministry, to proclaim the gospel and see lives transformed in the name of Jesus. Now I have a new life. Gospel proclaimed. 
lives transformed, disciples made. That's what we're about. And we praise God for the opportunity to do that. So the last few weeks, you guys here have been looking at cherry-picked verses. Verses that are, are great, but they can easily be taken out of context and end up on T-shirts and so on, with some of the meaning sometimes lost. Well, today, we're going to do a bit of fossicking. <laughs> we're going to look at some golden nuggets from the scriptures. Now, I hope I can put them in context. I think most of the verses are too big to go on a T-shirt. So we're safe, but um, we're just going to just share some of these and see what God is saying to us. I don't know if you're aware that 10 days ago was what we call Ascension Day. 40 days from Easter Sunday is the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Sorry, Sunday he rose from the dead. Ascension Day is when he ascended into heaven. So about 2,050 years ago, a bit more, when that actually happened, Jesus shared some words, particularly between the, the resurrection and the ascension. But some right at the ascension. He shared what we might call his last words, and we're, we're going to look at some of those today. As he left earth, Jesus gave the church a task to do. So let us just pray now as we open our eyes and ears and hearts to what God has to say through his word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came, he lived, he died and rose again and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of our Father. So we thank you. We pray today as we look at some of his words, both before his death and after, that you will open our hearts to, to hear the message that he has for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I recall a, a missionary friend from Africa. He says that we need to preach the gospel every day to ourselves. If we preach to ourselves, we become more familiar with the great message and we can share it with others. Perhaps that could be as simple as memorising some of the verses out of John chapter 3. They give us some, a great reminder of the scriptures, of, of the, the gospel message. So in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders. He tells him that um, he needs to be born again, to be spiritually alive. You need to be born both of the water and natural birth and of the spirit to become followers of Jesus. He reminds us of the, the bronze snake in the wilderness. Just as in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up too. You remember that snake? The Israelites were being bitten by snakes and dying and Moses put a bronze snake on a pole and God said if they look at that, in faith, they will live. We shouldn't get hung up too much on the bronze snake. Uh, it, they kept that bronze snake and later on it became an idol and one of the, the kings smashed it because it, Israel had been idolising it. But it says here in John, 
that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. That was probably pointing to his death on the cross, but it's more than that, I think. It goes on that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. But then I, I think the next verse we often miss. For God did not send his Son in the world to judge or condemn the world, but rather to save it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only Son. So there you have the gospel in a nutshell. That we are sinners, we have disobeyed God. We are sinners inherent from Adam, but we've done a pretty good job of ourselves as well to disobey God. But he has sent Jesus to live among us, to die and rise again, so that we can believe in him and be saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on and says, his priorities are these. For what I have received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And when he says according to the scriptures, of course he's referring to the Old Testament. And that he appeared to Cephas, who also Peter, and then to the twelve after that, he appeared to more than 500 of our brothers and sisters at the same time, mostly who are still living, some are fallen asleep. He then appeared to James and to all the apostles, and of last of all, he appeared to Paul, me, as to one abnormally born. And of course, Paul met him on the road to Damascus. But in these passages, we have our message. Jesus came to save and give everlasting life to those who believe in him. In African cultures, a person's last words are important. Perhaps they are in ours too, but um, we tend to use written wills and so on. Africans may not have a written will. So they gather around the person dying and they share their last words and they hang on these words. It will give guidance to the eldest of the family on how they should lead the family. It will give others some message that they need to take to heart from this person that is about to leave them. Well, in Matthew 28, we have some of Jesus' last words. They weren't words he said before he died, but they were words before his ascension into heaven. Matthew 28 doesn't mention the ascension, but we know it is somewhere between the ascension and his resurrection. After his resurrection, he asked his disciples to meet him on a mountain, and it is then he shared these words. The words are very much framed around the vision of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Let me just read that to you. In my vision at night, and this is after Daniel was saved from the lion's den, he had a vision. And in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So it's painting a picture hundreds of years before Christ, but painting a picture of Jesus. And Jesus then speaks based on this authority. In Matthew 28, he says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Great words. It's interesting. The Rory Bible study points study Bible rather points out that one command here is to make disciples of all nations. The other bits, the go and the baptizing and teaching, are what uh, Rory calls participles. Now, if you want to know about participles, you see Ross or Dan, but that they are adjectives formed from a verb. So they're, they're descriptions of what's going on. So the command is, go, is make disciples of all nations. As you make disciples of all nations, there will be people going, there will be baptizing, and there will be teaching of all the words that Jesus has given. But you know, the, the passage is framed in the statement that Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. And another statement at the end, lo, I am with you, or surely I am with you always. This uh, passage is interesting and that picks up on a few of the other things that Jesus had said earlier on in Matthew. So <clears throat> in Matthew 4.19, he walked along the beach and he said to the fishermen, Peter and others, come, I will make you fishers of men. Now, with the great commission that is about to happen, they are being sent out as fishers of men. They have been trained by the master, and now the task is in their hands. Authority in Colossians 1.15 to 18, we read that Jesus has, has is creator, and here he is declaring his authority over nature and the church because not only has he made creation, he is now creating the church, his followers. And his authority is based on those. In Matthew 4, verse 8, we read a situation where Satan tried to bribe Jesus. He was, Satan was offering him authority over all nations and he tried to tempt him to do that, but Jesus stuck firm, he stuck true to God, his Father, and through that obedience, the Father now has given him authority, not only of nations of, on earth, but of heaven also. Jesus is our King, King of heaven, King of earth. My challenge today is that this command was not only given to his disciples, but the command still stands that we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. 
The Afri Africa Bible Commentary <coughs> gives some interesting insights into this. It's a commentary written by Africans for Africa, but I, I find great encouragement by reading it. It came out in the mid 2000s, 2006, 7, I think, and um, it's a, a common reference from me. But let me, let me read to you. <coughs> Jesus commands us to make disciples, not just converts. Disciples demands a total surrender of our identity, <coughs> security, and being to the Lordship of Christ. Such surrender demands more than mere outward conformity to religion. It must affect one's inner being. The task of converting nations means we will have to address all that makes people a nation, including the deepest elements of their culture. <coughs> Baptism is the initiatory step to be taken at the beginning of discipleship, but teaching them to obey all I've commanded you is a more comprehensive command. So the guy writing this is Joe Capello, and he goes on with some more profound words, which I'd like <laughs> to read. The Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, which we have read, the Great Commission is given by the highest authority in the universe, and it is binding on all disciples for all time. No other tasks come with the same authority, the same universal scope, or the same eternal consequences. To go into the world and make disciples of all nations is the most exciting, most urgent, and most necessary task in the world. The Great Commission for us? Most certainly. He goes on, As the number of Christians grows in Africa, let the church on the continent be found faithful in advancing the frontiers of the mission for the honour and glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. So what about us here? Do we leave it to the Africans? The African Christians far outnumber us. And AIM, we've, we've certainly been encouraging Africans to go out into mission. And as you've heard the story of Peter in South Sudan, for some it comes at great cost. But no, the Great Commission is given by the highest authority in, in the universe and is binding on all disciples for all time, even us here in Wyoming. So how do we respond? Do we turn a blind eye or a deaf ear? I hope not. Well, let's think about it. Is teaching religious education at school making disciples? Well, I say yes. At least in part, it is an important part. Is leading a Bible study helping make disciples? Yes. But it's, it's even more than that. It's walking with someone and helping them and showing them how to surrender totally to Christ's Lordship. Jesus commands us as he did his disciples and together as a church to make disciples of all nations. You need to think in this, that, and I think it might have been um, Neil and Pam shared with me, that we, we are a link in this disciple-making process. One person may lead them in a Bible study, another will share something with somebody, and all these little bits together will help make a person a disciple. So we are a link. We just need to make sure we're not the missing link. <laughs> <coughs> what is God saying to you? 
What is God saying to us as a church about making disciples among all nations? In Luke chapter 24, 45 to 53, now this is the last few verses of the Gospel of Luke, we have one of the two accounts of the ascension of Christ. There's only two in the Gospels, and this is one of them. So let me, let me just read to you Luke 24, 45 to 53. If you have your Bible, feel, feel free to, to look it up. I think I'm reading, reading from the New International. Then he opened their minds <coughs> so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So Jesus is now telling them how his death and resurrection fit together. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. As Paul said, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and many others. They have seen the whole thing. Now they are with the resurrected Christ. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, <coughs> he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The gospel and the task given to the church is clear. You are my witnesses. Go make disciples of all nations. <coughs> In the book of Acts, now the book of Acts is the sequel to Luke. So Luke ends Luke's gospel with a picture of the Ascension, and he begins the book of Acts with a similar picture. So we pick up in Luke in Acts chapter 1. Now he's writing these books to the same person, Theolophus, friend of God, translated. And in two separate volumes, he's giving the beginnings of the Christian church. But in the book of Acts, it's really where the rubber hits the road for the Great Commission. Jesus ups the stakes. He's not, a, not now looking about a kingdom of Israel that his disciples had in mind. They, they, their picture of God's kingdom was really a kingdom of Israel. But no, Jesus says, it's the kingdom of God that will span the entire world. And you guys, his disciples, are going to do it. You will be my witnesses, but wait. I will give you the Holy Spirit who will give you power. So in Matthew, we have a, a statement where Jesus says he has all authority and he will be with his disciples. Now we have a statement that Jesus has not only got the authority, but he's giving his disciples the power through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I must go now in effect, and then he ascends into heaven. But the book of Acts now is a, a picture of, of the application of the Great Commission. It's a picture of how the disciples and the first church 
were his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. So in Acts 3 through to chapter 7, verse 60, we have a picture of the witnessing to Jerusalem. Then in Acts 8 to chapter 12, there's a picture of the gospel going out to Judea and Samaria. And in chapter 12 to 21, it's the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. And in chapter 21 to 28, is what the African Bible commentary calls an ultimate witness. We have a witness of from Paul and others as in and out of prison. It's a time when Paul wrote his letters to the churches. There's a time before he was beheaded for his faith. But God commands, God calls, God equips, and God empowers. In Acts 13, we have an interesting picture of a local church and the first missionaries as such being sent out. Sent out from where they were living. Let me read to you. <clears throat> now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, as a tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the works which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Two of them were sent on their way, but the Holy Spirit went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Picture the geography. We have uh, Syria at one end with Jerusalem and Judea. Across the top we have modern-day Turkey, below modern-day Turkey, the island of Cyprus, and then, of course, Italy and Spain. And then on the bottom side, northern Africa, Egypt and other northern African countries. But here these guys are sending out Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus on Paul's Barnabas' first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit calls the church to set aside these guys and they send them out. In our mission in AIM, we are desperate for Acts 13 missionaries and Acts 13 churches. Churches that are led by the Holy Spirit to send someone from their number out cross-culturally to take the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. the ends of the earth. So how, how do you be an Acts 13 church? How do we hear the Holy Spirit set aside workers from among us? I guess that comes through prayer and sensitivity to God's leading. Is God calling us to be an Acts 13 church? Is God calling someone here to be an Acts 13 missionary, to be sent out by a church to make disciples, to be Jesus' witnesses? to the ends of the earth. And only, only people sitting here can answer that. But is God calling you? What is God calling us to do? I think that's a challenge that we need to not forget. We need to remember that the Great Commission still stands. I remember as a, uh, in my youth, we watched the Salvation Army 
musical called Spirit. And there's a great song in there that says, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? What is the Spirit saying to you? That's the question I think we need to ask. <coughs> so how do we go about making disciples to all the world? Well, sorry, more to the point, how are we going about it? How are we doing? In um, <coughs> the Joshua Project is a project that's looking at all the peoples of the world and how many are being reached by the gospel. It's on the internet, you Google Joshua Project. But in their statistics, they're saying that um, if you look at people groups without reference to a country, so you might have one people group across more than one country, we have more than 10,000 ethnic people groups or biblical nations. Uh, that, that's a lot. I mean, when you consider the number of people in those groups and the fact that we probably only have, what, 130, 140 countries in the world, in the biblical definition of people groups and nations, we have 10,000. Of these, almost 5,000 are unreached. Joshua Project defines unreached as having less than 2% of that people group as Christians and having a church that's not big enough to reach out to the rest of the people group. So nearly half of the world's people groups are unreached. So how are we doing? Making disciples of all nations? Taking the gospel to all nations? It would seem maybe not so good. In Africa alone, we have almost 1,000 unreached people groups. Almost 75% of those, between two-thirds and 75%, are Muslim people groups. Probably about 600 of those are across the northern part of Africa. We need Acts 13 missionaries to go and live among them, whether they be from here or from Africa or both, to go and make disciples of all nations. I think we need more people here in our homelands to make disciples of all nations that God is bringing to us. Many nations are coming to our door, maybe not so much in the last 12 months, but they are here already. Many, many unreached people groups live not far from us. So what can we do? One certainly important thing is to pray. Pray for these people. We have a website, prayafrica.org, that lists many African unreached people groups on there and gives you information. You can sign into that website and receive a daily prayer email. But we need to be praying in, in considering these nations that Jesus wants us to make disciples among all nations. The job is not yet done. In uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is walking with his disciples through the countryside. He stops and he looks at the crowd and the scriptures tell us he has compassion on them. And then he says some rather profound words to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. Those same words are recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. 
So they are held as fairly significant words by these disciples who wrote the book. Jesus calls us to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest. So we have the Great Commission. When, when can we stop doing it? When can we stop making disciples? Well, I'd say some churches have already stopped. But this is not what Jesus wants. <coughs> we may be waylaid or distracted to do other things, but know this Great Commission task is for life. There are several verses in this, or two I can remember in the scripture that tell us when, when it will be done. And let me read one of them, Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached on the whole, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Fairly definitive, isn't it? While we're still here, we're still preaching. I don't know about you, but when I read the New Testament and, and some of the writings of Paul and their anticipation of the end, I think they were under the understanding they had preached the gospel to all the world. And to the world that they knew at that time, I think they had. Paul had crossed the um, Mediterranean many times taking the gospel. But the end did not come as they might have expected. I think the extent of the need for the gospel changes with every generation. I remember one of the, the early <coughs> church fathers was a guy called Tertullian. He is a Berber from North Africa. Now he, he's famous for his words that he says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You may have heard those words before. But he was in a, a Christian people group. But today the Berber in North Africa are one of our highest priority unreached people groups. They've gone from being Christian to being Muslim. So the, the picture is changing. And still we have to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is as alive now as it was when it was said more than 2,050 years ago. It's a matter of how we take it and what we do with it. question is, how can you or I or the church make disciples of all nations? How can we make disciples of those nations that God is bringing up? Again, what does the Spirit say to the churches? What does the Spirit say to you? I hope today that the fossicking we've, we've looked at has um, been helpful. We've looked at a few verses. There was one I, I omitted to read and I'd just like to take the opportunity to read that. The one from Acts chapter 1. Actually, we have read it, but let me let me read part of it before uh, again. He said that. It, <coughs> yeah, let me read. On one occasion, he was in eating with them and gave this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit." Right. And then he says further down, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth." That is coming after he's already been on the mountain with his disciples and, and said, go 
make disciples of all nations. So Jesus has given us the command, make disciples of all nations. It will take going. It will involve make, doing baptisms. It will involve teaching people everything that Jesus has taught us in the scriptures. But what are we doing with that? <clears throat> and I know that this church is involved in many ministries and we've mentioned some of them already this morning that are about making disciples in schools, in Bible studies, in, in churches here. But let us be, let our ears be keen and listening to what God is calling us to do. Maybe he's calling someone to be an Acts 13 missionary and one sent out by local church. What other things can we be doing to reach all nations? Only half of the people groups of the world are reached. May we continue to listen to what God wants us to do next. Thank you for listening this morning and let me just pray as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus where he said all authority is given to him on heaven and earth. Based on that authority, he has sent his disciples and his church then and now to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He promises that he will be with us to the end. In Acts, we see that he has given the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our teacher, and our source of power as we cannot do these things in, in our own strength, but only powered by the Holy Spirit. Father, may each of us here and as our church together, we be open to your leading, we be open to receiving your power to go and make disciples, and that we will know just exactly how you want us all to be involved in this great commission. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat>